Well, amen. Thank you, worship team. Grateful for you leading us in that time of singing praise. I told the last group, it's good to have Ellis back today. He's a little married boy now. And so we're congratulate he and Adrian and uh, that special time in their lives now. Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. As you turn there, let me say a couple things. First, I want to welcome our guest. Thank you for being here today. We're always honored to have folks here as our guest. And I want you to do this, church family, as you kind of worship today, look around, see folks you don't know. And when the service is over with, go introduce yourself to them and, and welcome them here. They could be guests. They could have been going here for a long time. Sometimes that happens. But just welcome those that are around you today as we dismiss today. But if you're one of our guests, if you would stop out by the welcome desk on your way out and just let them know that you're a guest here today. It's your first time. They'd love to give you a gift and then also get some information from you so we might get more information to you about the ministries of our church family. Let me also say a word about uh, Gideon's ministry. You uh, saw the video here a few moments ago. Probably the majority, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, the majority of the Chipley camp of Gideon's come out of this church. I think there's about 13 or 14 men in our church that are part of the uh, Gideon's International uh, Chipley camp. And let me say to you, first of all, about those guys, they are churchmen first. And uh, you heard that in that video. They're dedicated in the local church to serve the Lord. Uh, they support the ministries of the church. They understand that the local church is the headquarters of Jesus Christ on earth. And that the main means by which God reaches the world is through the local church. Then also, they sense a calling uh, to be involved in a ministry that specifically gets the copies of God's Word in the hands of people. And they do that all over the world. And so I am grateful for what they do. Uh, our church family, through our kingdom giving each week, supports uh, Gideon. So there's a, there's a check that goes to Gideon's each month from First Baptist because of our, our regular giving. But today we'll have an opportunity uh, to give beyond that. So uh, when you leave today, our ushers will be in their regular place for your tithes, your offerings. And when you walk out into the for your areas, there'll be Gideons out there to take up an additional offering. And I'd encourage you to do as our family did today and gave an additional gift uh, for the Gideons ministry. So I'd encourage you to do that. They also have a table out there in the foyer by the south entrance, and you can talk with them more about uh, the ministry of Gideons. Then also, I want to give praise to the Lord and then um, uh, give a, a thanks to some folks in our church. I'm grateful for the women's ministry event yesterday. Uh, my understanding was the room was full in the activity center. Every chair just about it taken up. And so there was a great time of fellowship among our ladies. And then Dr. Chantel Oni brought a word from the book of Exodus on being obedient. And so just a, a great challenge and edifying word from the Lord uh, to help uh, women grow in the Lord, and so I am thankful for that event yesterday, grateful for our women's ministry team, and the members of that team is Jennifer Duncan, uh, Hannah Strickland, Chelsea Bush, Lynn Wells, Angela Clemens, Stacy Berry, Miss Jan Whitcomb, and also Miss Anita Young. Thank you for your faithfulness, your leadership, uh, and your service in getting this event together. Yes, let's give them a hand. <clears throat> We're grateful for, for that ministry. And uh, it takes a lot of work uh, to get things like that together, and so I'm very grateful for uh, God using them. Uh, also, I want to say, men, on the 20th of May, 
We'll be having a men's breakfast, so don't forget about that. And I know how we are as guys. We'll wait till Friday before and, uh, and register. But I'd love for folks to register beforehand so we kind of know how many eggs to cook and how many pancakes to make and how many sausages to have. And so if you would, guys, you can register online for that men's event. Dr. Clayton Clore from BCF, president of BCF, will be uh, speaking to us. So I would encourage you to be a part of that ministry day on May the 20th. Well, let's pray, and we're going to dig into the Word of God and continue our worship uh, through studying the Word of Truth. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, how thankful I am for this day. How thankful I am for my church family. How thankful I am for your graciousness and your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray, Father, now that you will prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God. I ask you, Lord, to captivate our attention. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to hear, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, you know how that I have struggled with this text this week, and I need your anointing once again to enable me to speak the Word of God this morning. So thank you for the freedom and the power in the last service, and I pray, Lord God, you'll do it again in this service. Please grant to me clarity of mind and clarity in speech, and I pray, Lord God, you'll use this word to sanctify the people of God today and to call folks to salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me, uh, <clears throat> first of all, get my sound adjusted. Y'all, can y'all hear me okay? I keep hearing an echo when I'm behind the pulpit here. I hear a little bit of an echo. Can y'all... How's that sound? Y'all good? <clears throat> All right, we good. I'm getting thumbs up, so that must be good. Let me tell you something that I've discovered in my ministry over the years. I have discovered people who have a perspective that from a natural man's point of view, now when I say natural man, I'm using that as a technical term for a person that's not saved. That person's not regenerated. And so I, I have known people to have this kind of perspective uh, in, their, in their thinking, and as I minister to them and witness to them, they'll say something like this. Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be able to live my life just any way that I want to live my life and have as much fun as I want to do. And basically what they're saying is this. I want to sin as much as I possibly can in my life. That's what they think is going to give them fun. And then on my deathbed, I'd like to be able to call on Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and then know I'm going to go to heaven. Now, you ever run across anybody like that? And there's been several over the years that I have heard say that in my witnessing conversations with them. And there's a lot of things wrong with that way of thinking. First, you don't know how much time you have on this earth. You don't know if you're going to get old. You don't know if you're going to have an opportunity before you die to even surrender your life to Jesus. You just don't know. Secondly, if you resist the Spirit of God in such a manner, the Word of God says it hardens hearts. And God can judicially harden a person in that state because they have resisted His grace. And because of that, they are condemned forever because they have committed what's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous thing to resist the drawing of God. It's also illogical because it, it, that kind of thinking believes that true fulfillment in this life and true joy and true peace in this life comes by living any way you want to. That it comes by having what they call fun in sin. 
I'll, I'll tell you this. Anyone who's ever lived in the world, been saved out of the world, understands this. There's absolutely nothing the world has to offer that can bring lasting joy and peace into my life. It's just impossible. Plus, that kind of thinking wastes a life. I thank God for His mercy and grace. I thank God for deathbed conversions. But have you ever thought about the tragedy of a deathbed conversion? The tragedy of it is this. They've wasted their entire life. It could have been lived for the Lord. Laying up treasure in heaven. Experiencing reward. So that's a foolish philosophy. Let me tell you something that troubles me. And I run across this type of philosophy more than I do what I've just described to you. And that is people who are professing Christians... They say they're saved, and yet they do not walk with God. Maybe there was a time in their life that they did. There was a time they were fervent about the Lord, but now there is a disobedience that marks their life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If that continues on, it proves something about that person. It proves they're lost. But there are Christians who for a season begin to stray away, and what God does in those times is He begins to put the chastening his loving chastening upon that person to bring them back into fellowship with him that's why if you can live in disobedience to God and never experience any type of God's chastening it could be lots of things God brings into your life to bring you to a point of brokenness and to return to him if you just kind of coast on through life and things are always good for you I'd be scared to death because that's evidence of lostness but there are times when Christians stray away from the Lord and they walk in disobedience and, and instead of laying up treasure in heaven they are focused on what the world has to offer them. They do this because of cultural pressures. They do this because of allurements of the world. They do this because uh, they give in to the sinful desires uh, of their hearts. The writer of Hebrews is really addressing Christians who are in danger of doing just that. They're in danger of of living in disobedience. They're, they're in danger of not following Jesus because they're afraid of the cultural pressures around them. They're afraid of the persecutions that they're facing. And there's this idea if they can just not follow Jesus, not be devoted to Him and slip back into the life of Judaism, then they're going to be okay and they can coast on through. And, and the writer of Hebrews is warning them, do not do that. Listen to these verses. Let's read them together in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any one of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest... As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, In David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Now, verses 9 through 13 give us the application. Here's the response to what he's arguing in those first verses. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, these verses are not the easiest to follow, are they? We've wrestled with these verses all week long. The main idea being taught here, and the main idea of this message this morning is this. As Christians, we must be devoted to obey the Lord daily and live in His rest that He rewards. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Christians, don't, don't stop following Jesus. Don't slip back into Judaism. And he writes of this fact that Jesus Christ is greater than Judaism. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the law, the sacrificial system. He is greater than anything or anyone on earth. Chapter 1 is spent magnifying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 2 talks about His humanity, how God the Son became human to be the captain of our salvation, that He might, as chapter 2 verse 17 says, be the propitiation for our sins, which means that He satisfies the just wrath of God toward our sin. That's what His suffering, His death on the cross, and His subsequent resurrection has brought. It has brought salvation available to people. And then in chapter 3, He encourages them, don't let a heart of unbelief well up inside you and, you, and you depart from following the living God. Verse 12, chapter 3 talks about that. You stay obedient. You stay in the rest of God, He encourages him. In verses 7 through 19 that we talked about last week, that's what He's doing. He is, he's telling them what not to do. In the verses for today in chapter 4, He's telling them what to do. Don't let unbelief uh, develop in your heart and be disobedient. But what you're to do is you're to enter that rest. That is, you are to be obedient. So that, that's what he's talking about here. And he, and he says here in verse 1 that we should, we should fear lest any of you seem to have uh, missed, come short of this rest. In verse 2 he says, For indeed the gospel, that's, that word means good news, was preached to us as well as to them. The Old Testament... Uh, folks there and came out of the uh, bondage in Egypt were delivered a word from God as the writer of Hebrews and those he wrote to were too. Us today also, the message of the new covenants, what we have, 
They received a message from the Lord, but it did not benefit them because they did not mix it with faith. They did not obey it. So you do what you believe. It's what the Word of God is teaching here. You got faith that means you obey God. And so he tells them that in these verses, and, and that gets us to a good spot to just put pause on for a minute and explain what it means to enter his rest. As I said to you last week, that's a heavily nuanced word. It speaks of a lot of things. It speaks of different aspects of our salvation. Ultimately, it speaks of our heavenly rest. It speaks of our future reward with Him. You enter the rest of God uh, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Initially, you are born again. But that's not the nuance of God's rest that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Because remember now, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that are saved. He calls them holy brethren. He says they are partakers in Christ. He calls them people that are, that are believers. But he tells them they're to enter that rest. Here's what he's saying to them. Rest here has this nuance to it. It speaks of an obedient life. An obedient life where you experience the blessing of God that he has for your life, that you lay up treasure in heaven. That's what he's speaking about here in this context. I believe, my brothers and sisters, there are too many Christians today who are not walking in the rest of God and they're not experiencing the blessings that come when we walk with God. Now, I'm talking about the blessings of peace. I'm talking about the blessings of joy. I'm talking about the blessings of the power of God to enable us in life. I'm talking about the blessing of the presence of God that we can experience each day that He desires us to experience. I believe there are so many, probably, maybe, many in this room right now, including this pastor at times, who do, do, do not experience the peace of God in our lives. The joy of the Lord is absent from us. There is no power to live our lives. It is because we are living disobediently. I know many Christians right now, they're miserable. They're some of the most miserable people to be around. They have no joy in their hearts, constantly complaining about this and that, griping about this and that. And, and, and here's why they're so miserable, because they're walking in disobedience. Now, they're not necessarily involved in the big sins. They may not be involved in sexual sin. They may not be involved in partying on weekends. They may not be stealing. They may not be chronically lying to people. They may not be involved in these kinds of things. They might be in church every week and have all the appearances of somebody that's got it all together spiritually, but they are not pursuing righteousness. They are not pursuing holiness. They are not meditating on the Scriptures. They are not fervent in prayer. They are not seeking to love others the way God has called us to love others. They are not seeking to have holy conduct in their lives, and because of it, they are absolutely miserable. They're missing out on the peace of God uh, for their lives. They're not walking in His rest. Verse 1 says we ought to fear coming short of that. And verse 2, as I mentioned to you a moment ago, the Word of God tells us how we experience that. It's through belief. It's through obedience. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 3. The Word of God says this, For we who have believed... Notice the past tense there. That's a past tense verb. That speaks of our conversion. Those who have believed do... Enter that rest. Now, here's something interesting about the verb enter there. It's present tense. You would think it'd be past tense also, but it's present tense. 
So you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith by the grace of God, and then you continually enter into His rest each day. That doesn't mean you get saved every day. It doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation. What it means is there's an aspect of your salvation you've got a responsibility every day to surrender to, and that is obedience to God. That is to obey Him. That's what's being talked about. And notice, this rest that he's talking about here is available right now. Verse 3 says at the very end of it, it's been available since the foundation of the world. It reminds me of what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, when we talk about the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God, uh, his, his plan was set before the foundation of the world in, in providing Redemption. This Sabbath, this rest is available for us now. And matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on to illustrate something that would have been picked up very easily by his first century audience, but gets lost on us sometimes. And in verse 4 and 5, he talks about an example of this availability of God's rest by comparing it to God's creative work. Six days he created the universe, and then on the seventh day he rested. On those six days, he's working. There's evening and morning. These days are marked by evening and morning. Uh, and then we get to the seventh day, and there's nothing said about evening and morning. There's a, there's a Sabbath that's established. And so what it's talking about is a, a, a completion of work and, and an availability of this Sabbath. Matter of fact, over in chapter 4, verse 9, that word rest in that verse is a word that we find only one time in the New Testament. And it literally translates Sabbath rest. And it really ties to this illustration over here in verse 4 and 5. And basically what he's saying is this. Just as God provided Sabbath and he took Sabbath from rest, there is a completed rest available right now for you. It's what's being communicated. In verses 6 through 10, there's some things said about this rest. Number one, you must enter it. It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. You and I have to be intentional in dying to self, dying to our daily desires to obey the Lord. It's a, it's a surrender to Him. It's not the preacher's responsibility. Now, this preacher has a responsibility every day to die to myself and walk with Jesus Christ. And so do you. Every one of us are to enter that rest every day. That's why when I wake up in the morning, there's two things I pray. One is, Lord, help me today to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love other people as myself. And then, Lord, help me to do this. Everything that I do in word or in deed, may I do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to you through him today. That's a prayer I pray before my feet ever hit the floor every morning. And then I go to have my devotion time, because what I know is this. Mike Orr needs to die to himself every day. Mike Orr needs to enter that rest of God every day and, and obey the Lord and serve Him. Notice in verse 7 and 8, this, this rest is available. He emphasizes it once again by quoting Psalm 95. David, by the Spirit of God, wrote this down. In David's day, he knew there was a rest available. Even after Joshua had already taken the people into the land of Canaan, there's still a rest available. The writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, it's available today. And I'm saying to you today, it's available. This rest that God desires His people to walk in. 
Y'all still with me? How do, you, how do you do this? How do you have this rest? There are three things that the writer of Hebrews gives us in verses 11 through 13. Number one, we must be diligent to obey God. We must be diligent to obey God. That's what this rest is talking about. It's talking about obedience to God daily. We don't want to be like that first generation that came out of Egypt who did not obey God, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Their relationship with God was a wilderness relationship instead of a relationship of the land of milk and honey. I said last week, most of us, sometimes, it seems to me, that we spend a lot of our Christian walk in the wilderness instead of in the land of milk and honey. We're not walking in close fellowship with the Lord. We're not experiencing the benefits He desires to pour into our lives. This word, diligent, is a word that means to concentrate one's energies on the achievement of a goal. It's an active voice verb, which means we have responsibility for the action. We're to set our minds on the achievement of a goal. What's the goal? Rest. Not taking a nap this afternoon. But it's this rest I'm talking about of disobedience or obedience to God. Obedience to God. It is to pursue holiness. It is to pursue righteousness. It is to walk with God each day. That's what we are to pursue. Verse 1 says we're to fear missing that. But you know what I think? I think many Christians today, they fear missing out on what the world has to offer them. That they fear missing out on all the luxuries of the world and the trinkets of the world and the experiences of the world. And that's what they want. That's what they chase after. That's what they pursue. And they're not in God's rest. What we ought to do is we should fear missing His rest. We should fear missing walking in obedience to God. We should fear for our children that they would miss walking in the rest of God. That's what we should do. God wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to be obedient to Him so that we're in His rest. We struggle, as I said earlier, to find peace and happiness and joy and fulfillment because we're trying to find it out there instead of with Him. We're never going to find it out there. We'll find it with Him. And I'm talking about in a close relationship with Him. We are to be diligent to enter in. It takes work. It takes, it takes discipline. It takes an intentional dying to self and putting aside desires to walk with God. You know, when somebody dies, we'll say something like, you know, R.I.P., you know, so-and-so's gone, R.I.P., rest in peace. What we mean by that is this. We're hoping that they're at rest now. That the things that troubled them on this earth, the suffering that's here no longer troubles them. My great-great-grandfather, Williams, was one of several ancestors of mine who were, were in the Civil War. And he saw his brother die in battle... He saw many other hor horrific things, apparently. He was captured and became a uh, prisoner of war for six months before the war ended. 
and then he came back home. He didn't marry until he was 40, and he married a woman 18 years younger than him and had 12 children. He was in his 60s still having children. He was a man of faith. Uh, he's on the church rolls of a local Baptist church. Matter of fact, the Baptist church that my mother grew up in. He's buried at Holbrook Camp Meeting Cemetery. My family's been a part of that camp meeting for 180-something years. On his tombstone in that cemetery are these words. Rest, soldier, rest. Thy warfare is over. That could be that he was plagued by a lot of what he saw and experienced in those years. Maybe it was the fact that he had 12 children into his 60s. I don't know. But he was at rest. He was at rest. Now, I believe he is at rest because the tradition of our family passed down was that he knew the Lord as his Savior. And I'll tell you, when the Christian dies and leaves this world, we are at peace. That's not true of everybody, but only those who know the Lord. What I want to tell you is this. You and I can have peace right now. You and I can have a peace that the Word of God says passes all understanding, as Paul puts it in the book of Philippians. And you can only have that kind of rest when you're surrendered to Jesus. Here's how our Lord said it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word rest there has the same root word as the word we're dealing with over here in the book of Hebrews. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know there is true rest for your soul this morning? And it comes through walking with Jesus in obedience to Him every day. We're to pursue holiness. We're to pursue a life of kingdom work. That's what we're to do. Spurgeon said that one of their preachers was once preaching a message on salvation and the peace it brings when someone respectfully rose up in the congregation and says, Sir, do you know all this by the report of others or has this taken place in your own experience? And the preacher said, It's in my own experience. I have been saved and I am at peace. You know, I, I believe that many times our ministry is hindered to others because... They don't see the blessing of walking in God's rest apparent in our lives. I mean, there's something about a person who walks with God, and in every storm of life, they seem to be at peace. Now, they may not enjoy that storm. They may not wake up going, well, praise God, I'm in a storm, the storm of my life. This is incredible. They probably don't do that. Maybe some do, because they know how they experience the presence of God in those storms. But they just walk with God, and there's a, there's a calmness about them, a peace about them, a joy. I mean, they're, they're just living out life, and everybody around them just thinks there's nothing wrong with them. It's just, they're surprised to hear what's going on in their life. 
because God is so with them. There is strength and peace and power in their lives. You know, God will give us the power to do anything He calls us to do. Do you know that? He calls us to walk with Him each day, and He'll give us the power to do that. Peter said that everything we need for life and godliness has been supplied by the Lord God. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter. He'll give us peace uh, and joy while we do whatever He's called us to do. He'll, He'll allow us to experience pleasure, His pleasure, the pleasure of His presence in every circumstance, and He'll reward us for eternity. We need to be diligent to enter that rest, brothers and sisters. The well, second thing he does is he tells us how we can really know how to obey so we can walk in his rest. Verse 12 tells us that. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and rejoice and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The second thing we need to understand is this. We must be diligent to engage the Word of God. Be diligent to obey God, but be diligent to obey the Word of God because you don't know how to obey Him until you know His Word. You can't make it up. You can't say, well, I just think God would do this, or I think He'd do that, or maybe He'll do this. No, He's he's revealed His Word to us, His special revelation. He's given us instruction to live by that enables us to walk in His rest. The Word of God gives us correction and direction, gives us understanding and wisdom. It keeps us from sin. It comforts us. It exposes the reality of our lives. To experience His rest, we've got to stay engaged in the Word, listening to biblical messages, in in the Word, reading and studying daily. I believe a Christian needs to do this daily. I believe it's really difficult for us to grow in the Lord and walk in His rest each day without the meditation on His Word, that time to engage Him through prayer. The Word of God is said here in this verse to be three things. Number one, dynamic. It's living. It's productive. It causes things to happen. It brings life to those who hear it and obey it. It's powerful. This is a closely related word to living. It actively works to bring transformation. No disciple, no follower of Christ can become a disciple of Jesus Christ or a follower of Christ without the Word of God. No one gets saved without the Word of God. The gospel and the teaching that goes along with living out the gospel. It's dynamic. It's, it is also something that divides. The Word of God says in verse 12, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Soul and spirit are words used interchangeably in the New Testament to speak of the immaterial part of us. We call it the soul or the, the, the spirit within us. So I believe there is a material and an immaterial part of us. And I believe that immaterial part, the words we see here, soul and spirit, actually are describing aspects of the immaterial part of who we are. The soul, speaking of our emotions, mind and intellect. um, And then the spirit, speaking of the deep spiritual part of us. 
The Word of God not only speaks to the emotions and the will, but it speaks to the very center and core of who we are and our spirit. You know, you can, you can hear a word out here in the world that gets you all stirred up emotionally, but doesn't touch you spiritually. But the Word of God goes right down to the very center of our being, our spirit, to bring about transformation. That's why, brothers and sisters, when you're telling people about what to look for in a church, here's what you ought to tell them. It doesn't matter really how good the music is. That's a great plus, and you sure want that. It doesn't matter how magnificent the children's ministries are, even though you want that. Here's what you need to understand. The most important factor is this. Is the Word of God preached? Much of today's preaching touches the intellect and the emotion. Little of today's preaching pierces the spirit. And here's why it doesn't. Because the Word of God is not being used. The Bible is called the sword of the Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Because the Spirit of God does not use TED Talks. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. It pierces us. It emphasizes its productivity to us. Then the third thing, it's discerning. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The first time I walked into First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, and I sat down over 30 years ago, and I sat down and I heard the preaching of the Word of God, and immediately the Spirit of God, like a surgeon, used the Word of God to begin to slice me open and lay me bare before Him. It was as though somebody had been telling this preacher what to say. I didn't know him. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know how he could have known these things about me. I'll tell you what happened. It was the Word of God discerning me, put me under conviction, and several months later I surrendered my life to Jesus, and He changed my life forever. That doesn't happen without the Word of God, my brothers and sisters. That's why it's so foolish for the church of Jesus Christ to depart from the Word of God today and try to please the crowds and the masses and the culture. You cannot make disciples of Jesus Christ in such a way. You can't walk in the rest of God without the Word of God. We're to be diligent to obey God. We're to be diligent to engage the Word of God. And then finally, we must be diligent because we will give account to God. A motivating factor in walking in God's rest every day is the fact I'm going to stand before Him someday and give an account. Nothing can be hidden from God. That's both terrifying and comforting at the same time. It's terrifying because God knows the disobedience we walk in each day. You cannot hide it from Him. I cannot hide it from Him. 
I can try to rationalize why I do what I do or why I think what I think, but I'm telling you, God knows. He knows. I can't hide anything from Him. And He sees every act of disobedience that keeps us from the rest of God. He sees the sexual sin that many in the church of Jesus Christ, those who profess Christ today, are involved in. How is that possible? That keeps us from His rest. There are less blatant sins that we sometimes tolerate and think it's okay and don't think much about it. One of them is how that we fail to give grace to others. We are judgy. Do you know that? Sometimes the people of God can be very, very judgy of others. Now, we call sin, sin. But we can be overly critical, and we jump to all sorts of conclusions about people, never really getting to know who that person is. We just kind of jump to those conclusions about them. We form our opinions, and then we treat them in a manner uh, that matches our opinion of that person without ever really understanding them or how together you work for the glory of God. Selfishness, we allow that to happen in our lives. Jealousy, gossip, slander, those things. Listen, have you ever been around people that do that all the time? They're usually typically miserable because they spend more time criticizing others and not even looking at their own lives at what they need to confess and repent of in their own lives. And they're guilty of speaking evil of one another when the Word of God says don't do it, and they're not in the rest of God. They're simply not in God's rest. You cannot experience the benefits God desires for us to experience if that's how we're going to be. We're going to miss it. And we'll be held accountable for that when we stand before Him someday. And sometimes we'll blame others for our lack of involvement in the things of God. This has happened over the years many times in ministry. People will say, you know, they just drop out of church somewhere. This happens everywhere. Drop out of church and don't see so-and-so for a while. Oh, where you been? Well, nobody came to see me. I was sick and nobody, nobody called me. My Sunday school teacher didn't call me. The pastor didn't come visit me. You know, nobody came out. I guess nobody cares, so I'm just not coming. You don't care about me, I'm not going to come to church. Well, sometimes we can drop the ball on those kind of things, no doubt about that. But I'll tell you this, when you stand before Jesus someday, I'll tell you what He's not going to say. He's not going to say, listen, I know your Sunday school teacher didn't call you. He said, I'm not worried about all those years you stayed out of church and you didn't serve because you couldn't get along with so-and-so and this person. I know they were jerks. Don't listen. Don't you worry about that. Now listen, it's on us. It's on you. We need to understand that. We're the ones responsible for self. Now there are factors involved that somebody got to hold them accountable. But I'm going to tell you this. We're responsible before God. And that is to move us into a life of obedience. But I'll tell you this. He sees every act of obedience too. He sees every sacrifice of time, resources, because you give out of a loving heart, 
of your time and ministry. You want to serve the Lord. You want to tell others about Jesus. You want to live your life in such a godly way that sometimes, you know, you, you respond like God wants you to to people when they're jerks to you and you just keep loving them and you don't keep a record of wrongs as the Bible says we're supposed to do when we love each other. It bears all things. It endures all things love does. So that's what we've forgotten about in the Christian life. We've forgotten that one of the greatest markers of the Christian life is how we love and treat each other. That's probably one of the number one reasons why the people of God are not walking in the rest of God today. Because of that. Just being honest. That's what I believe after getting close to 30 years of pastoral ministry. I've learned a thing or two. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest one either. God can teach this old hard-headed boy from North Georgia a thing or two. I'll tell you this. He sees every struggle of our lives. He sees the temptation you're struggling with. He sees uh, the struggle to walk with Him each day when you're being bombarded by the world. And can I tell you something? Do you know that the Word of God tells us He is the one who helps us? Chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 4, we're going to, next, the next set of verses is going to deal with this in, in Hebrews. Because you may be thinking, how am I going to walk like this every day? Well, I'm going to tell you in these next verses. He helps us. He helps us. most foolish thing any of us could ever do is not enter His rest. He desires for us to experience the full fulfillment of walking with Him with all the benefits He pours out on us. And so what I say to you today is this, my brothers and sisters, let's enter His rest. Let's confess sin. Let's repent. Let's start walking with God. Let's start walking with God. Let's start walking with God. For some in this room, you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never been saved. So you've never entered into His eternal rest in that way. You've not believed to be saved. You understand that right now you're separated from God because of your sin, but you also know that Jesus came and lived and died to provide the atonement for your sin. The Word of God says, God's commanded everyone everywhere to repent. That means turn away from sin to Him. Confessing Him as Lord and Savior of your life. If that happens in your life today, He will forgive you and He will he'll make you His. So I'd encourage you today, when we stand to sing, you just slip out of your seat, come down here to me and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I had one in the last service, a young man who came after everything was over with and said, I just, you know, I need to get baptized. So are you saved? Well, I'm, I'm trying to. So I said, well, let's talk to you about that. So I got him with Matt. That's where Matt was. To nail down what it really means to be saved. Altar's open for us to come who are believers. Come down here, do business with God. Maybe some need to join the church too. However God's speaking, 
Let's obey Him. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this Word. It's been a challenge in my own life because, Lord, admittedly, and I'll admit this before, my brothers and sisters here, there are times I do not walk in Your rest. Lord, I pray, Father, that all of us would begin to walk in Your rest each day. We'd be a holy people, a people characterized by biblical love of You and each other and all. I pray we're a people that are holy. We go to war against our personal sin that we pursue fervently righteous conduct for our life to be more Christ-like. And let us be the light and the salt you've called us to be in this community and around the world. So Lord, have your way now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Oh 
is the Lamb. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of all mercy and love at the feet of Jesus and we cry holy 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 and we cry holy 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 and we cry holy 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 is the lamb sing it again holy 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 of you deeply and my great desire today for all of us is to walk in his rest and may we do just that would you be seated for just a moment we have baptism this morning also as you leave this morning as mentioned earlier in the service we're going to have two offerings today so if you came prepared to give your regular tithes to offer the building fund whatever's for the church's ministries you'll see the ushers in their normal spots this morning on the outside of the doors though, there'll be some other men standing there with a plate and that's for the Gideons so anything given in those plates will be given to the Gideons if you want to write a check just make it out to FBC First Baptist however you want to do that and then we'll write one check to the Gideons and so those will be on the outside regular tithes and offerings on the inside uh, in those regular ushers in the plates there. If you're a guest today, again, we're glad you're here. We'd love for you to go to our welcome desk and register as our guest. We have a gift for you there. If you'd rather just text the word NEW to our phone number, 850-638-1830, you can do that. But the gift is at the desk, so that's where you get that. Let's see, there's uh, one of the um, prayer tonight at 6. We've been having informal prayer time at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. We're going to do so. So even if we don't announce it, we're going to have it unless we tell you we're not. Uh, but we'll have that tonight as well. Don't forget to pick up one of your connection guides. They're at the entrances, exits, uh, at the welcome desk. It has a lot of information, a lot of things coming up over the next few weeks, and those things are mentioned on there. So make sure you pick up one of those little half sheets for a connection guide. Hey. We're ready. I made it this time. <laughs> made it. Um, I'm excited this morning to baptize Selena. Selena's coming for baptism this morning. And Selena, we were talking this past Wednesday. She tracked me down across the street. You have a seat. And she said, listen, I need to be baptized. And I said, you're right. <laughs> um, she went to a winter conference trip with us a couple years ago. She's gone for several years. And she gave her life to Christ at one of our conferences that we went to and is coming this morning to follow in believer's baptism. What we believe with baptism is it's this declaration of something that's happened in, in her life. And she died to the old self. She was resurrected with Christ through salvation. She trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And so she's coming today to declare that. She's not ashamed. She is serving the Lord and God's using her and her friends who are here to support her today. And so Selena, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new life. 
This prayer will be dismissed. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for what we just witnessed. A miracle that has already taken place where you have given someone a new life. Where you've forgiven sins and raised us to walk with you. So God, help us who are believers to remember that great experience that we had as well when you changed us, when you transformed us. Well, may we leave this place remembering what you've done for us and ready to share with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.